Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. My guests today are Brad Loader and Daniel Psycho of Cambridge. Uh, how are you guys doing, guys? Doing well. Thanks great, for having us. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming. First question, I always make it a real tough one, but uh, you know, what does Cambridge Global Payments do? What are you guys up to? Um, Cambridge is a foreign exchange technology provider. Uh, you know, We started initially as a brokerage firm. Over the past 25 years, we've moved towards uh, more technology, uh, and now we're definitely positioning ourselves as a fintech company uh, with a you know DNA in uh, foreign exchange. Yeah, and in fintech, it seems like blockchain is all the rage, and, you know, uh, different blockchain tokens. So in that arena, what are you guys focusing on? What initiatives are you looking at? So uh, we have uh, primary, our primary initiatives are focused on the infrastructure side. Uh, we're not necessarily interested in you know, investing in it or holding or mining or anything like that or even wallet space. Uh, we're definitely interested in the, you know, the infrastructure that blockchain can provide, what a lot of people talk about blockchain as the, you know, the new email protocol, you know, but for payments uh, and delivery methods, that is definitely uh, where we're looking at. All right. Well, within um, payments and delivery methods, you know, what part of that spectrum? So there's, you know, the customer facing part, there's the back end infrastructure you know, where specifically do you guys uh, shine? So uh, currently, uh, a lot of the stuff we do is, you know, a Swift network and the normal ICH platforms. And, you know, we have a, a ICH in 23 countries, and we are very good at delivering it. However, uh, legacy methods uh, do have their, you know, drawbacks. One is the speed uh, and B, visibility. Um, I think the big thing that we're seeing is, um, that visibility and assurances to the, our every party involved in the payment process. Um, you know, with Swift, for example, you do get your messages and you can provide it back to the client. But what we're seeing with a lot of applications on blockchain is uh, you're able to give you know the entire lifecycle where the payment is can it potentially hit the account uh, and any other additional information for it. And we think that will give a lot of value. This is something a lot of people are expecting in a payment space, but they're very surprised where traditional channels cannot deliver that value. Yeah, so in a Swift transaction or other major transactions, where is the lack of visibility? What information do parties want to know that they can't get right now? Well, essentially right now, once you send a Swift payment, um, it's basically you just have a confirmation. It's, you know, your Swift message, MT103 or any other uh, messaging, um, that's the code for it. 
that, you know, it just basically left. It's basically all it says is that we sent the money. Uh, if let's say I'm sending money to an exotic country, this is often that happens. Uh, you, you know, a, a end user will come back to us and saying, hey, where's the money? And we're like, we sent it. Here's the proof. And we can tell him that we sent the money to exactly where he told us to. Um, however, if the local bank decides to hold it or withdraw money from it, uh, that is something that uh, cannot be controlled. Uh, and because, you know, the, for example, the fees, there's this band shared or our fee you can put on the SWIFT message. However, uh, just because, you know, the receiving bank wants to add extra fee on receiving funds, they can do it. And then if I send you $100, but you get 95 there's very little control or visibility of how that all happened. And we see a lot of applications uh, actually solve a lot of these problems where you can guarantee the amounts, you can see exactly when it hit the bank account of the end user rather than just the bank, period. How often currently <clears throat> does money get lost or the wrong fees are taken out? And you know what's the economic impact of the current systems of money transfer? I wouldn't say money get lost. Um, I think vast majority of time there are issues. It's uh, receiving bank holding it for whatever reason. Um, you know, there's very strict rules in some countries where in Brazil you need to have, um, you know, the phone number of the receiving person. If You know, if you're missing one piece, they could withhold the money and then you have to, you know, have to go through a process to get it back. Uh, so the money is being held up and they're not being received. And if this is a critical payment, of course, you know, let's say you're in a hospital and you need that money or it's for, you know, terms of uh, on a contract. And if you don't meet the contract, you know, you get penalized. There are some serious either financial or even worse, personal uh, loss to people. Um, a lot of times not as dramatic as I'm describing it. However, it does happen. Um, in terms of fees, you know, it, on a larger transaction, $10, $20, it's less relevant. When we're sending corporate payments, uh, something that we specialize in a lot. However, when you're talking about more retail side, when we're doing business to uh, like individual payments, let's say, you know, payouts for um, benefits or uh, salary uh, expenses, you know, if your, if your expenses were $200 and then you get, you know, $180 back is because your receiving bank wants to lift the money on it. That's, you know, that's not a good experience. You're losing a decent amount of ch a chunk of change there. So, um What's the estimated impact uh, because of, you know, money being held and not being able to be used for what it's needed? You know, how about at the banks, you know, their costs and in, uh, in transferring the money? Where do you guys see that you're going to have the biggest impact and how much do you guess it may be ballpark? Um, it's hard to estimate, uh, to be honest. There's because every bank is kind of, especially on the receiving end, kind of keeps it internal. That's their, you know, they see it as extra revenue. Uh, so I don't have a ballpark figure. However, it's becoming an expectation uh, that the end user, you know, they're very surprised when a lot of these things happen. Like, like we're in 2017, we're expecting this kind of service. Uh, so there's a bit of a, you know, uh, dissonance between what banks deliver uh, and what the client expects. So, you know, with a lot of initiatives in banking sphere, you know, what we're seeing in Europe and UK, uh, with a lot of open API um, things coming to fruition now, um, it's you know it's becoming it's becoming very prevalent. Unfortunately, I don't have any numbers on it, but uh, it's definitely a big focus right now. So, all right, what what other areas of um, banking or money transfer uh, is Cambridge going to be involved in, and how are you going to make an impact? 
Well, our our goal with it is, um, you know, right now, in short, right now, there's no, uh, we don't have a live product with blockchain. We are experimenting and uh, working with a few partners on this topic. However, we, you know, our end goal is to provide uh, quick and efficient money transfer that is transparent to the end user. So when you're sending money, um, you know, that's the, that's the goal. Uh, but that comes down to m- many pieces. Uh, money transmission is one. Uh, another big part of it that, you know, I see maybe not even the next year, but something we can see uh, down the line is uh, you know, benefits of um, for compliance and, um, you know, potentially credit in other facilities using blockchain applications where you can, you can plug into different uh, other platforms where they can provide missing information or, you know, do uh, checks and uh, all the good stuff. Things like, you know, zero knowledge layer uh, to verify information, make sure that, you know, the payments actually get there. Sending a payment is uh, often the kind of the easy part. It's making sure it gets there. That's the hard part. And that's what I think a lot of advanced applications of blockchain can add a lot of value. Yeah, you talked about some of the ways that, you know, payments get to, again, not lost, but held up. Um, and unfortunately, it sounds like, you know, taking people out of the equation, um, and having a blockchain and code execute all this so will lead to a lot of errors, a lot less errors, which is great. Um, the banking industry and the large financial institutions, do you see them resisting this potential change or are they welcoming it? You know, what's their, uh, what's it like to work with them? Uh, yes and no. You know, you'll, you can look up any big uh, blockchain project and uh, there will be big names behind it. And, you know, you go to conferences and they'll have big teams working on projects and then when you talk to other division and they've never heard of blockchain, you know, you know, on one side, they're spending a lot of marketing dollars saying we're doing these partnerships and I'm sure they're doing efforts, but you know, it's because of working with a big corporation, uh, a lot of times left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing. And sometimes it doesn't even know it exists. Uh, that's kind of the problem. So you get, you know, you're, you're working through these cool projects with them and then you, your operations department talks to a different department of the bank and they'll just like, have no idea, have no appetite for it at all. So, you know, I think it's in very early stages. Uh, there's no large-scale infrastructure projects that are truly um, actually past data. Uh, a lot of it is very uh, much testing the grounds at best. A lot of it is, you know, just POCs uh, or very advanced POCs. Um, so, you know, I'm, I would love to work more on it, but the problem we're seeing is, you know, it's, it's very localized in the big banks. Who do you think are going to be some of the first adopters in the industry, and which one do you think will be the laggards? Are you seeing any difference from different players in the industry? Some are really excited. Some are like, eh. I won't say any. I won't say any names uh, because you know, just because uh, a certain bank was prevalent in the news doesn't actually mean they're executing the most. You know, it could be they could be just hunkering down and just putting up, you know, good projects. Into, into the works without publicizing it too, too much. So I wouldn't, you know, say, oh, these guys are the most in the media. They're the ones. Um, and naturally, I wouldn't know what a lot of these banks are doing internally. Um, however, I, I do think there are a few banks that are uh, really stepping up forward. Um, something where we might see in, I would say, mid-2018 uh, on more practical scale uh, I, I think they, they need to get reach critical capacity to actually roll it out. Um, I think there are certain projects being rolled out, but very localized. Uh, they're, you know, very advanced POCs, but uh, I think within the next six months, a lot of dust will settle. 
uh, on you know actual leaders in the space. And we're definitely trying yeah, to help to those people because if they are you know launching these projects uh, and they're ready to work, we're more than happy. That's actually one of the biggest um, roadblocks we're having is we don't want to theorize. We want to actually partner and work with these projects, uh, but it's a lot of times people just kind of end up talking about it and less execution. Yeah, how long do you think it'll be until um, the next time, for instance, I send a wire, it doesn't go through Swift, it doesn't, you know, I don't need an IBAN number, and it goes through a blockchain-based system? Well, you can already do it. Uh, it's more about how efficient it is, right? Um, you know, you can send money using Bitcoin right now. However, if you want to send a large sum, uh, you, I will definitely argue the Swift is faster because if you want to send, let's say, a million dollars using Bitcoin, uh, you need at least you know six confirmations, which on average takes ten minutes, so an hour. While if you do it a normal transaction for Swift, it's faster. So I think it's more about what kind of payments are we talking about? Are we talking low value, you know, under a thousand dollars, or so it really depends. You can already do a lot of them. It's just the infrastructure is is a bit uh, creaky, I would say. Gotcha. So what other arenas is Cambridge really strong in? What other major projects do you guys have going? Or, um, you know, what are your main areas of focus? Well, I can speak about payments. Uh, a lot of our projects are looking at expanding payment rails and just, you know, broadening our footprint, banking and, you know, delivery. Um, as I mentioned, we have Swift. That's something we've had and we can do over 140 currencies. You know, we're always expanding our ICH, which is the local delivery methods. So, you know, it's the local banking systems in in different countries. We can do it in 23 currencies. And naturally, we're looking at other, you know, alternative methods. And, you know, there's really unique methods in a lot of countries. In Southeast Asia, there's a lot of um, very locally specific ones. In Philippines, there is this, like, um, you can always do delivery like a moped. It's basically, like, it's uh, at least like pawn shop, you know, delivery methods where people are very used to getting money, right? So there's different use cases. Uh, we're always looking at uh, how we're trying to position, what kind of partners we're working with. You know, for some, they all they want really is you know traditional banking delivery methods. Other ones, when they want to work with you know um, retail customers as the end consumer, they want to have flexibility, uh, and we want to provide that flexibility to our partners. Do you see any uh, areas of banking and finance that are uh, massively underserved that you think would be uh, promising markets? Well, a lot of the you know international payments is uh, I don't say it's underserved, but it, it is definitely there's a lot of innovation that can happen in it. Um, you know, there's high fees, the delivery. That's that's you know a lot of people are going to that space. But I think there's a lot of other um, peripheral projects that will pop up uh, around it. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, talks about you know on the unbanked. Uh, there's definitely a lot of that where. The financial services overall, our big focus is foreign exchange. That's kind of where we shine. However, I think that entire financial services industry uh, in exotic uh, locations is definitely ripe for innovation and uh, interesting products because, you know, you will you can go to a small village somewhere in the world where uh, they're not going to have anything but a phone. The, the phone is their uh, their big, you know, thing for, for, the, for them. And they don't have a TV. They don't have, um, you know even potential electricity, you'll find a very exotic ways how to charge that phone, but they're going to have that phone. Uh, so you'll see a lot of innovation. You'll see that in Africa with the mobile wallets where you know the entire payment system is tied to their phone and their banking is tied to the phone, right? So there's a lot of innovation available in that space where ability to integrate with those unique solutions per, in each location uh, can drive a lot of value. Okay, very interesting. Um, 
how long do you think it may take for um, you know payment systems and payment rails to fundamentally change and switch over maybe to blockchain-based applications? Well, I, I wouldn't say Swift will uh, you know get replaced like completely. Um, there's you know there's definitely room for it. Um, and however, it's more once again it's what what kind of payments are we talking about? I think a lot of the remit, remittance payments, you know, sending money back to Philippines or Vietnam uh, from North America, um, you know, that segment uh, is a unique payment payment segment that is going to be uh, innovated much faster than say than a lot of corporate payments, right? So we're talking about the adoption curve here. Uh, so I think the retail will drive a lot of the innovation just because they're expecting better service, uh, lower fees. Uh, and a lot of the traditional methods are not, it's not, it's not cheap to send under $1,000. You know, low-value payments are not easy to send cross-border right now. So I think that would drive it. Uh, and once that infrastructure is, is proven, uh, you know, there's, you know, good volume going through it, uh, that can perforate into other uh, you know, the corporate, you know, nuisance payments and say under 250000 uh, The Definitely the hardest one would be over, you know, coming to a million and more. Uh, that's not going to happen, I think, anytime soon, unless there's a big push by the big banks to change their settlement system. Um, however, from the corporate payment side, I think it will definitely be driven by the retail innovation, and the retail innovation is happening now. I, I think there will be some excellent products within the next 12 months on the market that are um, definitely changing the way it's done. Why would the larger <clears throat> transactions not happen anytime soon is because there's no need Banks are happy with the system, or what reason? Yeah, uh, I think uh, unless there's very good business case for it, you know, it works. Uh, it took years to replace a lot of the legacy. Um, you know, if if you're aware, for example, the COBOL uh, language, which was programming langu- language from the 60s, was still prevalent 15 years ago, right? Uh, there's a lot of these stories where you'll see a large institutions with very antiquated processes that work. Um, you know, so. And, and why would you change it for them? There's you know, the gain for them is marginal in comparison to the cost. You know, tens of millions of dollars to replace a system. Um, I think I, you know, I, I'll sidestep here. I think one of the biggest innovation in finance right now is actually not blockchain, uh, as much as I would like it to be. I think the big innovation is moving from batch to uh, real life, real like uh, live transactions. I'm not talking only payments. I'm talking about overall um, processing of information. Because originally systems that were developed in the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s were very batch-oriented just because of limitations of technology back then. Uh, now that we have you know, this completely different architectures that are allowing completely different way of uh, dealing with data, uh, that you know, that's the big innovation. And not in just in payments, just the way information gets processed. How credit information gets passed from department to department. It was two or three times a day using some sort of batch process. Now, you know, instantaneous access. I think that's the big innovation that actually is driving a lot of change in ter- inside of the uh, big institutions. You don't think that um, large institutions may leapfrog, you know, just like people in Kenya went from nothing to cell phones. You know, <laughs> I guess it's kind of funny. Banks in one way are like third world in terms of technology. Do you think they may make just a big jump to blockchain or they're going to progress first through these um from batch to real-time transactions, and then maybe many years later go to blockchain? Well, this transition can involve, you know, at the end of the day, blockchain is just a technology. Uh, I'm talking about batch versus live as a, like a more of a, 
uh, agnostic to technology process, whatever that process change will be, blockchain is, is, is at the end of the day, blockchain is just the one of the technology solutions that can drive certain changes, right? Um, there's a lot of other innovative things that are happening. Uh, that's just the biggest one right now that's kind of encompasses a lot of other underlying technologies, right? Um, it could definitely involve it. I'll definitely need some leadership from it. That's And that's what I mentioned earlier about a couple of companies who are just really going to take an aggressive stance and, and just deliver. Uh, I was reading something, I think ING, they have at least one project for, per department in blockchain right now. So, you know, there's some banks who are um, putting more efforts than others. And, you know, having blockchain project on every single, in every single department in a, in a bank, that's, I think, unprecedented. But that could be also, you know, a marketing uh, story. So I'm not sure. But so you, you see different efforts from different institutions. Well, very good. So last couple of questions. Um, anything you're seeing with, you know, banks and financial institutions that really surprises you or, you know, stuff that the public doesn't know? For instance, you talked about the using systems from the 60s, which is amazing. They still work. Uh, any other surprises from what you learned? Um, in regards to blockchain, uh, I would say there's not many surprises in the uh, in the speed uh, of working with them. Uh, I would say surprises can come from um, some of the applications they're doing. Uh, I would say some of them are very pleasant surprises, frankly. Um, you know, some institutions we've we've chatted with definitely come out. You're like, wow, that's I didn't even think of that application. Um, so that would say it's a it's a good surprise and a bad surprise there. Um, you know, there's a lot of innovation that can come from the compliance side. Uh, you know, I'm not even talking about the the financial applications of delivery or trading. It's it's what they're what they're seeing is what kind of value they can deliver. Um, and you know, I've talked to guys from Deloitte who are working with the banks in Ireland uh, that are trying to improve their reporting using blockchain just to streamline, I think, their NAF calculation or something like that, if, I, if my memory serves me right. But, uh, you know, there's there's kind of those projects when you hear that they're not exactly what you think they would be. Uh, it's more about just improving uh, architecture and improving infrastructure of different, uh, other different projects. Well, very good. So what's, what's the best way for listeners to get in contact with Cambridge and to uh, find out more about what you guys are working on? I think the best way to get in contact with us is to visit our website at cambridgefx.com. Um, there's a form if uh, people want more information about our products and service offering then they can fill out, or they can email us at info at cambridgefx.com. Um, also encourage you know people to follow us on social media through our uh, Twitter page and our LinkedIn page. We put out a lot of thought leadership pieces um, to you know, distribute to our followers um, so that they can get more information, not only on kind of what we offer, but what our thoughts are um, and our team of experts, what they have to say. Yeah, we have a, you know, market commentary and all the good stuff from foreign exchange perspective, but I try to write, there's a few other people who try to write more of just um, thoughts on overall state of certain projects and uh, things going in our industry, uh, which are very, you know, kind of, I would say abstracting away from the sales focus, but more just pr- trying to provide, give some leadership and thought, uh, thought leadership on these topics. All right, guys. Well, thanks for coming. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.
The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post a review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.